Um, we are once again uh, continuing in our series uh, in Genesis. We're looking at Genesis chapter 4, so please um, turn there. Uh, please uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, I mean chapter 4. If you're new to the church, if you're exploring the Christian faith, uh, we welcome you. Uh, thank you for joining us this evening. If you don't have a physical Bible, come chat to me after the service. I'll give you a nice new one. Um, our previous rector is gone. He left so many Bibles, so I'm just going to give them away. Um, but it is because we want you to engage with the Christian story uh, and to affirm what Ezekiel was saying. The Christian story uh, does take us from Genesis 1 up until Revelation, and it's all about how God moves towards us and dwells with us and redefines for us life as we know it. Um, and as we get into Genesis, I've been excited about this series. One of the things I realized is as I'm doing research, I'm just like, shucks, that's interesting. And then I move on to another verse. I'm like, that's interesting. Uh, so there's many things that we can unpack and um, so many interesting things. But let us not be boggled down by so many interesting things. Let us see the big picture of what uh, this story in Genesis is all about. We started off by presenting Genesis as an alternative story of God's people, the Israelites. Um, it's coming in among other stories uh, that were sharing their own opinion about the world that you and I live in, about what's wrong with our world, and those uh, solutions, as um, our rector has said. By the way, we need to have a regular um, uh, beginning of the month reclining with the rector or something like that. Um, the Lord just gave me that. <laughs> um, so just... Um, just to, yeah, glean from um, all that he has and his heart for uh, what we are doing here in this redeemed family of servants uh, on mission. Uh, just the other thing for ladies and gents, uh, the normal dating process is that if you are a believer, we encourage you to, uh, to find a believer. Um, if you, <laughs> if you um, are chased by a guy, or, or you like a girl, uh, 10 years, as you heard from our rector, is the period that you need to take until you get to, to get married. Uh, they need to convert first, uh, start a Bible study, um, go to Bible college for three years then, and only then can you uh, consider them. I digress. May God help me to stick to, um, to our notes. Um, just to say, what I was saying is that um, as we read Genesis, one of the things that we should realize as much as those things are interesting, that God is building a house, he wants us to dwell in that house, uh, we need to always be keeping in mind Tuesday or Monday morning, how does this reflect the 168 day, um, hours that God has given me this week? Each time you come to the scriptures, you should ask good questions about science, how it relates to the Bible. You should ask questions uh, about some of the interesting things that come out of Genesis, but the most important way to ask questions is by asking, how does this transform my life? Amen. Uh, so that's what we, we want to do, and I just want to bring you back so that you remember that we're looking at life as we know it. We're looking at your life and my life. How does this few, this uh, beginning chapters of Genesis uh, push us towards living uh, for God? I'm going to read uh, chapter 4, and I want you to um, be attentive as we read that story. This is the story that comes after chapter 3, 
obviously, it's chapter 4. Um, but there's so many similarities that we pick up from this, uh, this story. And it defines life outside of the garden, life outside of the will of God. This is what it looks like. Uh, so as we read, just picture with me the nature of sin and how it corrupts human life. Um, just take notice of how these people relate to God and to each other. Because when our relationship with God is messed up, our relationship with one another is going to be distorted as well. Um, let's read Genesis chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. Now, Adam knew his wife. Um, that is a euphemism. Uh, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his, she, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fed portions, and the Lord had, had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and, he fell, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against him, his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. Uh, he was the father of all who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah was also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Na Nama. Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. 
I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and he bore a son and called his name Seth. For she, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just going to pray that God will help us um, as we get into his word. Father, thank you for this song that we sing, uh, the last song talking about the journey to salvation, that while we are uh, pursuing our sin, uh, you come and interrupt us, Lord, uh, that you bring us into your kingdom. Um, So I do pray, Father, that you would give us a taste and a reality of life outside of you, that we would long, Lord, for something better than that that we would long for Jesus, uh, that we would long to be dwelling with him, that he would redefine our lives, Lord. I pray for someone coming in who's not a believer, uh, that they would come out um, introspecting and looking at their own lives and running towards this Jesus. Uh, So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So chapter 4 begins, and we see that already life is hard going, It is complex and bitter outside of Eden. Uh, Last week we saw that God uh, had chucked out man and uh, his wife outside of the the garden. Uh, Why did he do that? Well, because they wanted freedom from him, and that's exactly what he would would give them. Life outside of the garden is what they desired. They wanted to live in God's space, uh, the house that he had built for them uh, in their own way. They wanted to be discerning what is right and wrong, what it is to live in God's world, but in their own own way. And God would not have that. God would not have men live in their own way and eat from the tree of life which was in the middle of the garden that would give them a life that will never end. Uh, so he chucks them out, away from his presence, life-giving presence, and we see that this is life outside of um, uh, the garden. Things are tough. One of the mistakes that I think we make, and Genesis wants to remind us, is that um, the biggest mistake we could make is to think that uh, freedom from God is true freedom. Uh, That is a a mistake we never learn. Um, As a movie called Ceci Girl puts it, that men never learn. Uh, They make the same mistake over and over again, but each time in nicer pens. Uh, We keep going on and on, making the mistake to think that we can actually gain freedom from God, live our own lives, and things will be okay. Chapter 4 is just a slap in the face. That Look look at what happens when men decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. Um, Dr. Phil would ask uh, at this point, how's that going for you guys? Uh, So you want to live outside of uh, God's um, domain? You want to live according to your own way? How's that going for you? Chapter 4 is that picture. Just to give us a bearing of chapter 4, remember we said that um, Genesis, there's these markers. There are these markers. Uh, Forgive my English. uh, It is uh, from a government school, right? 
there are these markers that we see um, through our Genesis that connect the stories together. The first one that we saw was chapter 2, verse 4, if you remember that. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth as, um, as they were created. In the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So chapter 4 ends that uh, story of the heavens and the earth. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So it's beginning a new section. So in other words, the story from chapter 2, verse 4, up until chapter 4, verse 26, is one big, big story. Uh, So just to give you a bearing of where we are. And this story begins in the presence of God in the garden and ends outside of the garden. But what we read here in Chapter 4, we see that life outside of, outside of the garden looks like it's going well, right? Uh, people are advancing in their skill. There's a lot of innovation. Uh, there's a lot of activity, mining. They're mining um, bronze and iron. Uh, they're making musical instruments. They're basically creating culture, and life seems to be um, going well. In fact, it's going so well that it looks like man is trying to get back to God. Uh, the story opens with these two brothers making sacrifices, uh, almost trying to amend uh, perhaps what their parents uh, had done. On the surface, it looks like uh, things are going to get better, uh, but they move from bad to worse. That is the structure that we see uh, from chapter 2, verse 4, to chapter 4, verse 26. This movement from bad to worse, uh, and it goes just even more worse than we could ever imagine. And that's the nature of sin. It's an endless spiral. Uh, the more sin we, um, the more we sin, uh, the more sin gives birth to sin. And the children of sin are worse off than their fathers. I, I wanted to say mothers, but I realized that's uh, politically incorrect, right? <laughs> um, the sins, the, the, the children of, of sin are worse off than their father. Sin gives birth to sin, and it complicates life. It makes it messy, and it makes it uh, brutal. Uh, The more we move away from the presence of God, as we see in these chapters, the more we move away from his will. And the more we move away from the will of God, the more complicated and brutal and bitter life uh, becomes. Chapter 4 is almost an echo of chapter 3, we see a lot of things, similarities that are happening there. Uh, for instance, uh, we hear this uh, call where God asks Abel, uh, rather Cain, where is Abel, your brother? In chapter 3, what, what was the question? Where are you? In chapter 4 um, and 4 verse 9, have a look with me. The question is, what have you done? Where did we see that? We saw that in chapter 3, as God asked these people, what have you guys done? So this is almost a repeated thing. Um, There's a repetition of cursing, curses. You are cursed uh, from the land. Uh, There's a repetition of God's grace, and we're going to pick it up uh, towards the end. And I want to end there uh, with God's grace. Uh, God's grace towards his people as he clothes them, even when they wanted to live in their own way. In chapter 3, God's grace towards Cain as he gives him this mark, whatever this mark is, uh, but it is a picture of his grace um, towards 
um, towards him. Both of those stories end off with men going eastward, away from the garden. In Genesis, as you read on, you see that each time people move east, it's never good. Uh, when the people in chapter 11 want to build up a, a, a structure, um, the, 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 the author tells us that they were moving eastward, away from the presence of God. But we shouldn't make the mistake to think that chapter three, uh, chapter four, rather, is just a repetition of the false story in chapter three. It becomes worse. Um, uh, one, of the, one author says that there is a development. Sin is more firmly entrenched, and humanity is further alienated from God. To understand what's happening in chapter 2 to 4, we should think of three circles, right? Is it concentric circles? Um, circles that are in each other, man. Yeah? Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so at the, in the middle, we have life in Eden. Okay, in chapter 3, we have life outside of Eden. And it looks like chapter 4 is even further away from the, the middle. Amen, Bazalwani. Amen. Um, so let's just um, see what's happening in our story and to see how further away man moves uh, from God and the corrupting nature of sin. Well, our story begins with two brothers sacrificing. Um, God, for some reason, the commentators don't say uh, what the reason is. Nobody knows. It could be that in Israelite tradition and thinking, there's a preference for uh, this kind of sacrifice, uh, this sacrifice of, um, of the firstborn from the flock. We don't know why God chose um, Abel's offering over and above Cain, but we know that he, uh, he did so. In fact, through our Genesis, there is this interesting thing where God chooses the secondborn um, to fulfill his promises rather than the firstborn. So it gives us a clue perhaps into God's dealings and his workings that he uses as something that you and I would not expect to fulfill his promises. But we speculate. Um, we don't know why he chose Abel's offering, but he, he did, and he wasn't very happy with that. Have a look at verse 7, uh, as God warns him and as he speaks um, to him. Because he asked him in verse 6, why are you angry? If you do well, you do not, um, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Again, another hint to Genesis chapter 3, where uh, men's, what was it saying? About men's, women's desire would be for, 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 for men, but he will rule over him. I don't know if um, man is equated with uh, sin or whatever the case is. I don't think that's what is happening. I think it's the way of the narrator to cast our eyes back to Genesis uh, chapter 3. But um, the writer here, or rather God uses this language of sin as a predator, a sin, as, a, uh, as some commentators say, it's this picture of a demon crouching outside of, uh, of the door. It's personified. Uh, it is something that is just waiting for you. 
Um, let, let me digress away from Genesis chapter 3 and talk about our own lives. Doesn't it feel like sometimes you're trying to live the Christian life, but there's just sin at the door, crouching and waiting for you? Doesn't it feel like sometimes you're just browsing through your phone, you're just reading your Bible, but sin is crouching at the door? Amen, somebody. That is the nature that we see um, here uh, of sin. Um, one of the um, commentators says this about um, uh, like why sin moves us away from God. He says that the distance from God is not just because we sin. It is because we enjoy sin. We cherish sinful ways, um, even protect the right to our sin, and resist any attempt to harness our moral corruption. Um, sin, its power, its crouching power, its predatory power, it's in the fact that we love it. And those guys in chapter 3 desired um, freedom away from God. They desired it. They loved it. You and I love our sin. That is why it's impossible, as Matetle was saying, for you and I to run towards God. He said, nobody seeks God because we love um, our sin, uh, and it's crouching for us, and it's waiting uh, for, uh, to devour this um, Cain. Have a look at verse 8, uh, the tragic thing that happens outside of the garden. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and, we, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and butchered him. He killed him. Verses 9, notice um, as uh, the Lord asked Cain, what, what has happened here? Look at his response. Look at the nature of sin. Uh, he hated his brother so much so um, that he killed him. And when he's brought to account, listen to what he says. Uh, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, listen to this, Mark. He's lying. I do not know. He knows very well where he is. He just killed him. So first it's lying, and then it's shifting the blame when he says, am I my brother's keeper? There's a um, play on words there. If you read verse 2, um, Abel is the keeper out of the sheep. Right? Um, so he's basically saying, that guy is the shepherd. Am I the shepherd's shepherd? Um, Perhaps you should be. Um, perhaps you should have um, protected him. But life outside of the garden is a dog-eat-dog world, right? It is every man for himself and God for us all. Have a look at verse 23 as this, we end this, um, this, um, this chapter. It ends off in a worse-off position. So this is violence, uh, life outside of the garden is violent, but listen to this poetry, this culture. So somebody made a poem, and this poem is about the celebration of violence. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. This guy is celebrating violence as part of, part of life. This is life outside of um, the garden. And one of the things that we see 
is that this violence gets worse. Uh, so if you read the story of Noah, um, the story of Noah says that men were behaving badly, they became violent. Uh, so you see this downward spiral of violence upon violence and upon violence. Now one of the ironies that we see there is that they are on the one hand advancing, they are making culture, but it is away from the presence of God. And much as they are advancing and building culture, there's also another side to it, that it's filled with sin, it's filled with human brokenness. I was just thinking about it and picturing um, this um, human advancement. I'm just like, man, like what, what, what did it look like uh, for these guys? In the garden, things were good, and then God says, create culture. Um, they failed to do that. They chucked out of the garden. Uh, so you see them building cities here. Life is good. Uh, and it must have been, um, it must have been great as, um, as, as they were uh, moving and advancing human uh, society. But one of the things that um, we said is that Genesis is presenting to us a counter-cultural way of thinking. So in the ancient Near East, they were thinking as human beings advanced, life got better. But Genesis is saying when human beings advance, life becomes worse. It's filled and tainted with sin. I mean, just think about our own life, our own world right now, some of the uh, technological advancements we've made. Incredible, aren't they? Think of back where it started, when there was no fire, perhaps. The invention of fire, I was thinking, who were the first guys who discovered fire? Maybe Adam and Eve, I don't know. Maybe they were chilling one day by the lake. Bajola, life, life was good. Bajola means they were dating, for those of us who don't know uh, these languages. Um, I'm looking at the time there. Um, maybe Adam was saying, stand Sam, and they were reminiscing about, maybe they spoke Zulu, you, who knows. And then he threw, as a Zulu guy is probably thinking, yeah, imagine stand Sam one day, uh, 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 kids owning chariots in, in, in the south and controlling the, the transport industry. <laughs> Black shout, hallelujah. <laughs> anyway, Stana Sam, he flicks the stone and then it hits a spark and then out comes fire and it's like, hi, bo! Uh, <laughs> then the... With fire comes the, the art of um, extracting bronze. And this is what we see here in Genesis chapter 4. But think about how far we've come from there. Uh, in where we are now, um, I don't know when uranium was, when they discovered nuclear power. Um, I read this on Google. I'm not a scientist. Uh, I'm a theologian. Uh, but that they, they split the atom. I don't even know what that means. But when they split the uranium atom, uh, out comes heat, and what they do is that they heat up, uh, you should know this, uh, you are an engineer, they heat up um, water, and then that water, the out comes steam, and then it turns, um, it turns the turbines, and then out comes electricity. Such genius, isn't it? That's nuclear power, 
But balance also is part of that, isn't it? Because the same power that you use to warm us is the same power that you can use to destroy an entire city. So have things gotten better? Yes, they have. Have things gotten more sinful? Yes, they have. Uh, has it gotten more violent? Yes, it has. Uh, one writer says, while ancient Near Eastern theology believed in progress, the, that human society was evolving towards a higher civilization, Genesis affirms the opposite. Society disintegrates without divine uh, in, intervention. Outside of the garden, outside of God's commands, outside of his um, restraint on us, outside of his lordship, you and I left to our own devices. We create chaos and more chaos. And as Royden said, that chaos lives in us. And we perpetrate it in our office spaces um, with jealousy and just bitterness. Uh, on, on and on, our life goes outside of the garden. Uh, someone says that unchecked sin manifests itself in ever more serious ways with ever more serious consequences as the story of Cain and his descendants illustrates. Uh, this story as it ends, we see that um, it starts with violence and ends with even more. Cain's descendants become more violent than their father. Now that's the story of life as we know it, as we experience it. Uh, it is a brutal mess. Now, I'm about to end this. As I was thinking about this, and this, is, this has been the tension, right? Because I, I want to show you the bigger story, because it doesn't end there. Uh, the Bible is a redemptive story. The Bible is the story of God's grace towards us uh, in changing our situation, in changing our inclination to sin and to be brutal to one another, right? I want to do that, but the, this chapter doesn't do that. This chapter wants us to just sit there and marinate there and see how broken our world can be outside of God. Turn over to Romans chapter 1 verse 29. As Paul defines life outside of God, as men and women reject God and worship their own idols, this is what Paul says. And I wonder if that's a representation of either your life or your office space or both. Life outside of Eden, this is how it is. Verse chapter 1, verse 28, speaking of men who've turned away from God, he says they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, this one is just a picture of us, inventors of evil. The NIV says we find new ways to, 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 to sin and, and, and create more evil. Disobedience to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Is that Jobek life for you? That is life as we know it. Life outside of uh, the garden. And we're not exempt uh, from that. Uh, but there is in Genesis just a, a bit of a hint to God's grace. A hint to the fact that that's not where the story ends. The story doesn't end there. The story is reminding us that in all of this mess, there is a God who is gracious. There is a God who clothes 
um, uh, Adam and his wife in chapter 3. He displays his mercy, his grace, even in spite of their rebellion. There is a God in chapter 4 who would protect a murderer like Cain and not treat him as his sin deserves. And this story of grace is found throughout uh, the Bible. You'll pick it up also in verse 25 that in spite of all that's happening in verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, uh, that through the line of Seth, God will bring about his blessings, God will bring about his salvation. Um, And we pick up that over and over again, uh, God works his way out through the book of Genesis. And we meant to, as we look at the brokenness that we see in chapter 4, we meant to hope for something better. That that something better comes later on in the person of Jesus Christ, who comes to redeem us from our lawlessness, who comes to redeem us from our self-destructive ways, who comes to redeem us from our love of sin. Jesus dies on the cross to put an end uh, to human suffering, not suffering rather, human rebellion and sin. Uh, Jesus rises again, putting an end again, establishing himself as Lord and King over everything. Those songs that we sang, that he's, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. And Jesus is calling us to himself. This same storyline of the mercy of God um, we see throughout the scriptures. Jesus calls us to himself. And only that grace can change our lives. Only that grace can change our lives. And we're going to see that more and more, even as we look at Revelation 22 next week, as we end of our series together, as this whole picture of God dwelling with his people uh, comes to a conclusion. We're going to see that next week. But I just wanted to leave you uh, with the story of, of grace and how it transforms lives. Um, how many of you love musicals? If you're a guy, please don't raise your hand. <laughs> No, you can if you love musicals. I love musicals. Um, I love live musicals like Marikana and those uh, kind of uh, musicals. Um, there's one called Le Mis, Kate's favorite movie. She's watched it over and over again. Um, this guy who is in jail, um, he's a notorious uh, criminal, Jean Valjean. Uh, he comes out of prison and he goes around town and he finds a, a priest uh, and he moves in, or rather asks for to, to stay overnight at the priest's house. Um, and in the morning, he steals some of the silverware and dodges off. Gone. And then the police catch him, and then they bring him back to, uh, to the priest. And the priest does something extraordinary. He does something unexpected. Instead of saying, shucks, you, you, you stole from me, uh, the priest... Um, recognizes the situation and he gives him more silverware. It's like, ah, like you left some of the things that I had uh, put out for you. Take, take this, take some more. And what Jan Feljan does, well, obviously he's now freed from the fact that he was caught in, um, in his theft uh, and he goes out, uses that silver to, um, to go uh, start a new life and he becomes a, a rich man and his life uh, remains uh, transformed. It, it, it changes. Uh, but one of the things, the powerful things that the, that the priest says to Jean Foljan is this. Jean Foljan, my brother, 
you no longer belong to evil. This is what he pronounces on him as he gives him uh, that free silver. You no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Powerful pronouncements on this man that your life does not belong to evil anymore. Now, Genesis 2, I mean 3 and 4, is a description of your life and my life. And apart from this grace of God, uh, him treating us not as our sins deserve, apart from that, you and I can never be free from our sin that we so love. Um, If you're not a Christian, can I commend that grace to you? If you are a Christian, continue walking in that grace. Allow that grace to transform your life. Paul says the grace of the Lord teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for um, this story. Thank you that uh, we see a hint of your grace, your mercy. We see your hint, the hint of you working to frustrate the plans of men, working to build a line, um, a faithful line. Um, We see you working through our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the ultimate uh, fulfillment of that line, who lives a perfect life, uh, the life that Adam and Eve were intended to live, uh, who dies a death on the cross for sinners um, to free us and to give us freedom uh, from our destructive ways. Lord, as we live our lives this coming week, um, I pray that we would reflect on just uh, the corruption of sin, uh, the sin that's in our heart and the sin that's in the world, I pray that you would help us to run to, uh, to Jesus, and that we would run in repentance, um, we would run with open arms and saying, we've tried it on our own, we cannot do it, but help us to live lives that are transformed, uh, transform our lives as we know it, uh, and give us the courage to live and to witness for you uh, through Jesus our Lord. Amen.